Good morning, sisters and brothers, and please do have a seat. Uh, we're looking now at Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 to 8, uh, that Deaconess Ching Li has just read to us. Uh, so it'll be helpful to have that with you. And let me lead us in prayer as we begin. But our Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Thank you for your Word that has been read. and We thank you that you have been speaking. And we pray now that your Spirit would work in our hearts, uh, that as we consider this passage, uh, we may hear and understand and see Jesus more clearly uh, and love him more and appreciate the wonderful forgiveness that he has won for us. And so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of us are facing different problems at the moment, aren't we? Uh, there might be work problems or financial problems or relationship problems, family problems, medical problems, maybe even ministry problems. Our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine have much bigger problems than many of us. But big or small, the right thing to do with our problems is to bring them to Jesus. Cast all your cares on him, the Bible says, for he cares for you. And there may be times that you ask your brothers and sisters to join you in doing that. And so together, you bring your matters to him. And that too is a good thing to do. In our passage today, we have a man who had a big problem. He was paralyzed. He could not walk. But with the help of his friends, he came to Jesus. And we'll see what happened to him when he did. But two weeks ago, you remember we saw Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And you remember that it showed us his identity. He had been sleeping in the boat, just like any man. Yet in the Old Testament, God is the one who stills the storm. So the evidence is mounting that Jesus is God and man. And then last week, we saw Jesus driving out demons from two demonized men on the other side of the sea. The demons came to him and begged him to cast them into the pigs. He told them to go. The people of the town came to him and begged him to leave. And in chapter 9, verse 1, he got into the boat and crossed over and came to his own city, back to Capernaum. Jesus has authority even over the forces of evil, but he doesn't impose himself on people. If you reject him, he may leave you alone. And that actually would be a terrible, terrible thing because he's the one person whom you need to solve the biggest problem that you have. And we will discover that in our passage today. Uh, the fact that Matthew tells this story here doesn't necessarily mean it happened just after the last one. Actually, it could have happened any time. Because Matthew is arranging his stories not to give us a chronology, but to help us see Jesus more clearly, one step by step by step. Right? And as we read today's passage, we'll find clear confirmation for what Matthew was telling us about the identity of Jesus from the previous passages. The story actually begins in verse 2, where some people are bringing a paralytic to Jesus, lying on a bed. Right? The word could also mean stretcher or some kind of mat. And Matthew doesn't give us the fascinating details of how this person got to be in front of Jesus. Mark and Luke tell us about that. But he starts the story with Jesus there and the man in front of him. And Jesus, in verse 2, sees their faith. Presumably the faith of the man and his friends. And Jesus responds to their faith. 
but in a somewhat surprising way. He says to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Hang, 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 hang on a moment, Jesus. What this guy has come for is not just not really forgiveness of sins. He, 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 he needs healing from his paralysis. What's the point of saying your sins are forgiven? You should be saying, get up, take your bed, and go home. That's what we're waiting for. Or is it? When Jesus forgives this man's sins, actually, when you think about it, he's actually solving a bigger problem for him, isn't it, than his paralysis. Paralysis would have kept him on his bed for years. Sin would keep him in hell for eternity. When Jesus forgives his sins, he's actually doing him a far, far greater favor than healing his paralysis. But then, that's true for everyone who comes to Jesus for healing, isn't it? And most of the time, he just heals them. So why does Jesus single out this guy for forgiveness of sins? Well, there are two possibilities I can think of. The first possibility is that this man is paralyzed because of some particular sin. Uh, the Bible does teach that God can give us illness as a form of discipline or judgment. I saw the case all the time. And in fact, Jesus clearly says in another case, the case of a man born blind, that neither he nor his parents have sinned to cause it. In fact, most of the time it's not like uh, We get sick because we live in a fallen world. So we must never assume that some specific sin is there when dealing with an illness in ourselves or others. It's always good to examine our hearts, right? but don't assume that. Remember Job's friends. Job's friends, were, Job's friends presumed that he was being punished for something he did wrong. And he wasn't. And God was pretty angry with them for presuming that. But occasionally it is the case. Uh, for example, some of the Corinthian Christians became sick because they misused the Lord's Supper. That was God's discipline. And so it's possible that Jesus could see this man's sickness, and it's unlike the sickness of most of the people that he healed, and he could see that it was caused by sin. And so when he's brought to Jesus in faith, Jesus responds by dealing with the root of the problem and forgives his sin. The second possibility is that Jesus is simply drawing the connection here to teach us something. It could be that this man's connection with sin is just like most people's. That is, he is in this condition as part of being a fallen man in a fallen world. The whole world is broken. The whole world is affected by sin. And that affects different ones of us in different ways. It's not to say there's a one-to-one -one correlation between you know, someone's sin and someone's how badly they're affected. But, but, but Jesus, having healed many people, wants people to know he's not just here to come to heal people. He's actually come to forgive sins. And he doesn't just have the power to heal people, he has the power to forgive sins, which is really the priority. And so he makes his point with this man, not with everyone, but with this man, so that people know that he's come to forgive sins. And he only needs to make that point once. Everyone can see that Jesus heals. But now he wants them to see he's not just a miracle worker, he deals with the underlying problem behind all the problems of this world. He's the forgiver of sins. Either way, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. But the way he says it, it's not like when we remind each other 
that our sins are forgiven. It's not like when we privately assure each other as we seek to to counsel each other to the cross. Uh, It's not like in our public gatherings after the prayer of confession where the service leader assures all who truly turn to Jesus in repentance and faith that their sins are forgiven. It's not like those things. Because Jesus is not just affirming forgiveness here. It's like he's saying, your sins are hereby forgiven. Right? His words are effectual because he's actually doing the forgiving. And that is why, in verse 3, the scribes say to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Uh, Blaspheming means speaking insultingly or carelessly about God. And it was considered an awful thing by every first century Jew, and it should be considered an awful thing by every 21st century Christian. Uh, To speak blasphemy in Jewish law deserved death. Because God is holy. To speak of him insultingly is unspeakably horrendous. And the teachers of the law are saying, Jesus is blaspheming. Because by claiming to forgive sins, he is taking God's place. And actually that makes sense. Because sin is, in essence, rebellion against God. Every time I sin or every time you sin, what we are actually doing is we're saying to God, our Creator, no, thank you, God, I'm going to do it my way, I'm not going to do it your way. Stuff you. Every sin we commit, ultimately, is against Him. And because of that, every sin we commit is actually infinitely terrible because it's an offense against the infinitely good and loving Creator, and we could never finish paying back the judgment we deserve for it justly. Now, if you sin against me, then God can't forgive you. I have to. And if I do something wrong against you, I can't run to Ching Li and say, please forgive me. She can't do that. You have to forgive me. If she forgave me, instead of you, you'd be doubly insulted, wouldn't you? If every sin is ultimately against God, then if we are to be ultimately forgiven, then actually God must forgive. It's personal. But here comes Jesus happily forgiving someone's sins. Of course, the teachers of the law who understand these things, they say he's blaspheming. And he was. Unless, of course, he is God. Now, to those of us who have seen him calm the storm, that doesn't seem so unthinkable. But to them, this was inconceivable. They conclude he's guilty. In our translation, it says Jesus responded knowing their thoughts. The meaning is correct. Uh, the word in Greek actually is seeing their thoughts. Right, it's the same word as back in verse 2, where Jesus sees their faith. Jesus sees the faith of the man and his friends. He sees the thoughts of the scribes who accuse him. He can't bluff Jesus. And when Jesus sees their thoughts, he says in verse 4, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Right, to say your sins are forgiven is easier, isn't it? Because anyone can say that, and no one can tell if what they're saying is true or not. Can't see. Then he says in verse 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, says to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. If Jesus could heal this paralytic from his paralysis, it would show that he can forgive sins. Because yes, only God can forgive sins. 
But look what the prophet Isaiah predicted would happen when God came to save his people. In Isaiah 35, uh, in verse 4, it says, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And what happens when God comes to save you? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Do you see that? The scribes had rightly worked out that God is the only one who can forgive sins. But if Jesus were to heal this man, it would signal that God has come to save his people. And it would show that Jesus is God, the God who can forgive this man's sins. So what's going to happen? Would the man be healed? Can Jesus forgive sins or not? Is he God come to save his people? Or is he a blasphemer like the scribes were thinking? Oh, we find out in verse 7. And he rose and went home. The paralyzed, bed, the paralyzed man, rising from his bed, goes home. Jesus can really forgive sins. And this man is really forgiven. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us how the scribes respond, but he does tell us about the crowds. They are afraid in verse 8. They are in awe because of what Jesus has just done. This is, this is someone really special, someone to hold the highest respect, someone with great authority who's got God's authority to heal and the authority to forgive sins. And again in verse 8, they glorified God. They praised him. They said how wonderful it is that he has given such authority to men. Because now they know that Jesus can not only heal diseases, he can forgive sins. And if there's anything that every human being really needs, it is the forgiveness of sins. Friends, the response of the crowd to Jesus is positive, but it doesn't go quite far enough, does it? They understand that God has given Jesus the authority to forgive sins. They understand that Jesus is a man. And so they understand that God has given such authority to men, which is right in the case of Jesus. But they don't actually take the next step and realize that Jesus can forgive sins because he is God. Right? They don't put it all together theologically. On the other hand, the scribes, they were right that only God can forgive sins, but they were so, so wrong to assume that Jesus is not God and therefore must be a blasphemer. So the crowds are positive, but they don't get the implications. The scribes see it clearly, but they have evil thoughts. But you and I should read this passage in light of what we've already seen about Jesus. And we should bow down and worship him. But this passage doesn't just tell us about who Jesus is. It tells us about what he can do for us. You remember that passage in Isaiah about God coming to save his people? Well, Isaiah was initially talking about the end of the exile from the promised land, when God would forgive Israel and bring them home. But that actually is a picture of the bigger exile, when God would save his people from the, from the exile from the Garden of Eden. He would forgive their sins and bring them home to the new Jerusalem forever. And when God saves his people, he will bring them relief from all the curse that comes from sin. And when that is complete, all the effects of sin will be gone. 
to save his people, God would first forgive their sins. And this, this miracle shows, compressed in a few seconds, that big picture of God's saving plan. God forgives the sins of those who have faith in him. And then one day he will save us from all the effects of our sins. As he raised the paralytic from his bed, he will raise us from the dead because our sins are forgiven. And God the judge will not hold them against us on that last day. In this passage, Matthew doesn't tell us the basis for the forgiveness of sins. But if we take a step back and we look at the bigger picture of Matthew's gospel, it will become clear. For the same Jesus who forgave the sins of the paralytic would later tell his disciples that he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When he would institute the Lord's Supper, he would speak about the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he would hang on a cross, crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as he bears the punishment of your sin and mine, so that God can forgive us without saying that the evil things that we have thought or said or done are okay. Jesus can forgive sins because he is God. And God can forgive sins while still remaining just because of the death of Jesus. And so today, my friends, God invites us to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Some of us have problems that we want Jesus to solve. Some of us help other people bring them to Jesus as we pray with them. But those things are right. Jesus hasn't promised he will solve all our problems, at least not on this side of the new creation. But he does promise to solve our biggest problem and we come to him in faith. And once this problem is solved, then all the other problems will eventually will be right as well. That problem of sin. We know that unless our sins are forgiven, that would leave us under God's perfectly just condemnation forever. But because he is God and he died for us, he can say to you and he can say to me, your sins are forgiven. And what precious words they are. Maybe you have a grievous sin tormenting your conscience. And you need to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Or maybe you don't feel so bad, you just know the facts, you're a sinner. And you need to hear the judge of the world say, your sins are forgiven. Or you end up in hell forever. Whatever the case is, you've come to realize that whatever other problems you face, big or small, your biggest need is the forgiveness of sins. And if you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, then his words to the paralytic are his words of comfort to you. Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. These are the words that will enable you to 
live your life with joy. These are the words that will enable you to face your death with confidence. These are the words that will enable you to be part of the new creation where the effects of sin are gone forever. No one else can speak those words to you in an effectual way except Christ alone. For he is God, he is man. He died for you and he lives again. Take heart, he says. Your sins are forgiven. So one day you will rise from the grave and go home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus does indeed have the authority to forgive sins. Thank you that he died to pay the penalty for our sins. We pray that you would work in the hearts of everybody here today and everybody online that we might turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Trust him for that forgiveness. And please help us to live as those who believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting with him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.